0: Good morning, we welcome you to our final installment of the Names of God. But the incredible thing is today the Lord has put on my heart as if I would gather you into the living room as my church family and share with you a pastoral message. I may not sweat buckets this morning or tear down the rafters as if I've ever done that. Look at your neighbor and say, she's never done that. But this morning I'd like to share a word from my heart. Can I do that? A pastoral word to you. I believe that will be crucial. The names of God are so, so powerful. We've loved the series. And those listening by podcast, we welcome you into our living room of faith as well. His name is wonderful. Look at someone and say, His name is wonderful. The perfect gift for a king. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is, unto us a son is. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And aren't you glad the government's not upon your shoulders? I'm glad the government's not upon any president's shoulders. I'll say it that way. I'm glad the government's not upon the emperor of China or Belarus. I'm glad that the government of the world is upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Can you say amen? Give him praise. Upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. Wonderful! Someone say wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Every government will come to end. Every person will go by the way of the grave until Christ returns. But upon him and his kingdom, it will never, ever end. And it will continue forever. Can you say amen? And the final verse or the final line in that Isaiah 9, 6 prophecy that's fulfilled in the book of Matthew says, And the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. What it says in another translation, the passionate commitment of the Lord shall accomplish it. Aren't you glad that the passionate commitment of the Lord is going to fulfill every prophecy over your life that he has given you? Aren't you glad that the passionate commitment of the Lord holds your children in his hands, holds your future in his hands, holds your finances in his hands, and holds your health in his hands? Someone say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. His name is wonderful. So what shall you give him? This morning, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. Thank you for our church family listening by podcast. Thank you for our friends across this nation that listen to these podcasts. Lord, speak to them. Come, Holy Spirit, do what you do best. In Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. So this is the way I kind of sum up Christmas. I've shared this before, and I love it. Story of a little Christmas play that really happened with little children. And a little boy with his towel wrapped around his head, because he didn't have Susan Vernon, the great creator of costumes. going to get an amen? He had a little robe on, and he was going to play the innkeeper. And he had practiced his line over and over again. You know mamas and daddies at breakfast. Mom said, what's the line, Bucky? There's no room for you in the end. While they're riding in the car, any parent get a witness. What's your line? There's no room in the end. There's no room in the end. He had practiced it and practiced it. He knew it backwards, forwards. Can I get an amen? But when he opened that little cardboard door and saw his little friends playing Mary and Joseph with little towels wrapped around their heads and little rope, Standing before him, he was overcome with his sense of fairness and justice. He looked over at his director who had worked so hard with him on this part. And he said, I know I'm not supposed to say it, but y'all just come on in. Come on. And to me, that's the essence of the gospel. Jesus Christ opened the door and saw me with a towel on my head. Can i get an Amen with my makeshift costume of humanity, trying to look better than I really am. And he said, you come on in Rhonda. And he said it to you and he said it to me. So what shall we give this king? This is the season of gift giving. Well, let's talk about his names for a moment before we land where we're going to land. Wonderful. In the Hebrew, that means exceptional, distinguished. It means he who can untangle things. He who can do the out of the ordinary, I don't know if you've ever had a difficult problem you wanted to solve. You know, scientists and inventors work years to solve issues. He doesn't have to work for years. He is wonderful. Someone say he's wonderful. That means he does exceptional and difficult things. In the Old Testament, God appeared in the cloud of fire, lightning, Shekinah glory. And he would appear to Moses. And uh, Moses said to people, we're going to let you see God too. They said, we don't want to talk to God. Just hearing his thunder freaks us out. We're scared. Come on, somebody. We can't handle the glory on your face, Moses, when you talk to him. So we're going to serve God from a distance. This is one of the many reasons Jesus is wonderful, because he became visible. He became someone that we could see. He was hungry, but he fed 15,000 with just a few little breads and fishes. Come on, somebody. He was tired, and he had to sleep because he was part God, he was part man. But he also gave rest to everyone around him. One translation said, Emmanuel, God came, clothed himself with flesh. Another said, he just came right in and moved into our neighborhood. Can I get an amen? He became someone we could understand, someone we could see. God knows we have these senses, things we need to touch and feel and hear. And Jesus became someone we could see and touch and feel. What do you give someone whose name is wonderful? Do you give him a $25 gift card to Applebee's? I don't think so. Someone say, no way. But when we saw him heal, we saw God. When we saw him raise Lazarus, we saw God. When we saw him stop a funeral runtime time and raise a woman's only son that was dead, we saw the compassion of God. We saw God in flesh, and it is wonderful. Someone say wonderful. It goes on to say he's a counselor. Some translations say a wonder of a counselor. I've gone to counseling. When I was divorced, I went to counseling. My parents took me to counsel. ended up working. For that gentleman, Bill Balzano, in the behavioral and social sciences of Lee University, wonderful man of God. He helped me. He gave perspective I couldn't understand when I found myself a place. We talk to people to get counsel because their perspective is good. But here's the deal. When we started the church, someone just say, oh, my. Pastor Hank and I counsel people Monday through Friday. 9 to 5, 9 to 5, 9 to 5, sometimes we'd go home and stick our head out the window and say, I can't take it anymore. Come on, somebody. Because counselors have limitations. We don't do that anymore. We've learned how to get smart. But counselors have limitations. Someone say limitations. I mean, if you came in and talked to me at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when I was sleepy, I was like, well, personally, what I think you need to do is. I mean, counselors are human. Someone say human. They're not going to hit the bull's eye 100%. But guess what? He is the wonder of a counselor. When things don't make sense, he makes sense. He is the mighty God, which means strong enough to overcome any opposition. His plans will not be stopped. Superior in strength. But this is one I love. His might is more than strength. When we say he's the mighty God, it means he has the kind of might and he has the ability to use it to strengthen others. Someone say mighty God. So what are you going to give him? You're going to give him a toaster? Here's your toaster, almighty God. Don't burn your toast. Look at someone and say, no way. So what can you give someone that is wonderful, a counselor, a mighty God? Someone who is the everlasting father, which means he has no dash between his name. He always has been and he always will. James said he's not two-faced or fickle. Someone say not two-faced or fickle, full of tender mercies. My loving father is 91. He's been the bulwark of our family. But as time has taken over, we're taking more care of him than he is of us. And he will, if the Lord doesn't come back, precede me into heaven. And I will grieve and I will hate it. But I will be thankful that he taught me to put my trust in the everlasting father, the father that will never end. My grandparents are all in heaven. My mother is in heaven. My in-laws are in parents. My husband is in heaven. But the everlasting father says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Give him a hand clap of praise this morning. So what do you give him? Do you give him, i buy my dad, a neck pillow that he can heat up in the microwave because his neck hurts. But you can't give that to the everlasting father. Someone say no. He is the prince of peace. Get this. There's the prince of England. There's the prince of Japan at one time. there was a the prince of Norway. I could go on too much research. Don't have a lot of spare time, but I love to research. Prince of Africa. But when it speaks of Jesus, it says he is the prince of. He is the prince of. It means he is peace. You ever been around someone, and my daughters love this about their dad they said that even at his home going, he would bring calmness. I mean, I saw him one time talking in the lobby to a cup of crazy gone on steroids. Come on. I mean, this person was, I I, I wouldn't even act it out. It was ridiculous. But they were out of their mind, and he just drinks his coffee very slowly. And I'm thinking, "Ah!" you know, (laughs) call 911. And he's just, well, furthermore, what I would like to say to you today, I'm like, I am getting out of here. They're going to kill us. But he just had a calmness. I got on elevators with him when people were saying goodbye and facing horrible things in hospitals. And he just had this ability to be very calm. Jesus, though, is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one that brings peace all the time. He's the Emperor. He's the ruler of peace. The Bible says in the New Testament, McKenna, that he walked through the walls that had been locked by the disciples and he brought peace. Keep your eyes on the Prince of Peace. Don't keep your eyes on the ways of the world, the trouble that besets you. Keep your eyes on the Prince of Peace. Call on him and say, Prince of Peace, I need your rulership now. Honor and bow not before an earthly prince, but before the king of all kings. His name is the Prince of Peace. Someone give him a praise this morning. So what do you give him, Keith Higgins? Two-week vacation? I just need to get to the beach. I, I find myself at the beach. I see that all the time. If, I'm going to leave that one alone. I need to get to the beach. I need to vacate at the beach. You don't give the Prince of Peace a vacate at the beach so he can get some peace because he exudes the peace and he made the beach. Can you say amen? So Christmas and gift-giving goes together. But what do you give? He whose name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. What do you give him? Well, the Magi gave Jesus the gift of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. The shepherds gave Jesus the gift of their attention, which is so valuable, and their belief. The Bible says that there were shepherds in the fields keeping watch. And behold, an angel of the Lord. Someone say an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory shone around, and they were afraid. And the angel said, Don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great, which shall be to all. For they're born to you today. In the city of Bethlehem is Christ the Lord. You'll find him laying in the manger. And suddenly, someone say suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts. When the Bible says multitude, that means you cannot count them. Praising God and saying, Glory to God. In the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I tell you one thing I love about this. His name is wonderful. The very first people to hear about the birth of the king was dirty, unappreciated shepherds. They worked in the middle of nowhere. They had the lowest ranks of jobs. And announce glory, announcement of glory came to them. I want to say to you this morning, listening in this room, he knows you, he sees you, and he values you. And he showed those shepherds that he loved them. Even if you're the night season of watching, sometimes we don't like the way he comes to us. Can I get an amen? We envision in our perspective he'll come this way. The religious did not recognize him, but the magi recognized him and the shepherds. But sometimes the way he wants to use us doesn't fit into what we we saw. Isaiah 11 and 10 says the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Someone say glorious place. It'll be a glorious place. That means whether you live in a castle or in the corner of a room, Monica, he can turn a manger into a cathedral and every difficult place becomes holy ground because he is with you. Look at your neighbor and say he is with you. God with us, Emmanuel. I've gone through a lot of Christmases at 61. Some that I had money to do anything I wanted to do for me and others. Some that I had to smile to get through Christmas. Some that I had to almost hold my breath to get through Christmas. Some Christmases I was so without money. I remember I found this little treasure. I remember in um, 1983, I had been working three jobs to get through college, and I didn't have any money. And at Christmas, I made all of my family, and I wish I could read this. This is my mom and dad. They saved it. They didn't save that red sweater I gave them. Come on, somebody. They didn't save that ribbon that I go in your hair, that hundreds of pairs of underwear we gave daddy through all the years of time, the socks that we gave to one another in the name of the king. But they kept this. I took construction paper in my little house. I lived, rented with three other girls. They were all gone by myself, the Lord was healing me, and my depth in this book astonished me even today because it was at the lowest point of my life when Jesus was healing me, my own Hope House experience, but the depth still takes my breath away, but I found this, he turns a manger into a miracle. I thought it's so beautiful that Jesus takes a messy manger to put his glory on display. Someone say a messy manger. Sherry, the manger wasn't trendy. It wasn't that cool vibe of that coffee shop. You know, I mean, if Jesus is going to be born, let's go down to the cool vibe. Oh, there's a, the millennials. Let's cool vibe it down at the coffee shop. Us older people just want to drink our coffee in silence. Can I get an amen? He didn't choose the Ritz-Carlton. I was blessed last year to stay to Ritz-Carlton on someone else's bill. They blessed me. I was traveling with them, leaving the details out of that. I had to call my kids, and I said, The blinds over the bathtub are automatic and they're heated. Watch, I videoed it. And then I'd go video the other corner of the room. Look at this. Oh, my word. Look out this window because it was in a big city. And I'm just like, and it was a beautiful gift. Two months after Pastor Hank's promotion to heaven, It was beautiful, and that was wonderful, and it was glorious, and I'll never forget that. It's a treasure to be blessed. It was just like God said, I got you, little girl. I got you. Your future's in my hand. You're going to be okay. And I love that. But God did not choose the Ritz-Carlton. He chose a messy manger. And your mess isn't too much for the Messiah. He can use your story for His glory. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need Him. Can I get an amen? But I'm going to tell you, your life becomes a manger where He displays His glory and you tell your story of how you've overcome. And many people come, they may not be shepherds or wise men, but they come to see what God did to a place like me that wasn't a cool vibe, that wasn't a Ritz Carlton. My life was a mess but Jesus Christ turns it into a miracle can you give him a hand clap of praise this morning come on let him hear it this morning so what can you give his name who is wonderful counselor mighty God my goodness what did he give Mary gave her womb so he could grow the uh, angel said you're highly favored but favor doesn't always look what we think because she gave birth on the floor of a barn come on somebody but she was highly favored Don't ever let anyone or any of your situations tell you you're not favored because of what it looks like, because she was highly favored, giving birth on the floor of a barn. The wise men gave their gifts to the king to finance his kingdom, their talents, their gifts, their weaknesses, their time. And these offerings all seem practical. Everyone say practical. Uh, Wise men enabled Joseph to escape and go to Egypt. The shepherd's gift kept company. Sometimes you just need someone to show up and say, I heard about what God did for you, and I want to see it. Amen? And the shepherds confirmed. The angels said he was the Christ child, and they came. But there is one gift that seems a bit curious to me in this big epic story of Bethlehem, the gift of the angels. They gave Jesus, wait for it, the gift of worship. Someone say worship. Suddenly they're filling the sky and they're saying, glory to God in the highest. And this great host of angels saying, and then the shepherds said, let's go see this wonderful thing. The angels filled the night with light and the air with music. And that's it. They worship. Well, my goodness, Cheryl, couldn't they have done something a little bit more practical? Mary needed a bed. Joseph needed an escort back to Nazareth because the book of Revelation says what Matthew and Martha, and Luke and John don't say. There was a war to take the Christ child out. It's called the big dragon. And while it doesn't tell until revelation, it came to kill the son of the virgin. He could have had that. Baby Jesus needed a bassinet. I mean, these are angels. One of them killed 185,000 in the Old Testament. They wrestled Satan, king of Persia. I mean, if if I was writing the story, look at your neighbor and say, if I was writing the story, I'd have sent the angels down to Herod and said, You've given too many people a bad time, and you've come after Jesus. Bam, you're dead. Come on. I would have gone over to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and say, I already know that you're going to try to kill him. So bam, 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 you're dead. Come on. But the angels didn't do that. Look, at your name and say they didn't do that because God was writing the story. But the angels, again, who knew Jesus better than anyone else, listen to me, those who knew him the best gave him the gift of worship. They placed their adoration in the sky and could not stop singing glory to God. Glory to God. The Messiah has come. Glory to God. All eternity has waited for the moment that that baby would come and grow up to be a king who would die for us. They worshipped. They worshipped. And worship is an interesting word. It comes from the uh, Hebrew word and Greek word worth. Say worth. Shipe. Shipe. Say shipe. Look at you, you scholar. It means to assign worth or value to something. Someone say worth or value. And any time you ascribe worth or value to the most high God you worship. Listen to me. Track me because you're like, oh, Lord God, here we are. We're going to sing for eternity. It's like one little choir director of children said, sing, children, sing. When we get to heaven, we're going to sing for all ages. And three little boys said, then I don't want to go. Come on, somebody. I mean, we start to yawn and say, let my people go. A a friend of mine just told about a note that's put in the offering. Don't you put one in there. We're going to burn it. And said to the pastor, your closing prayer was 12 minutes and 32 seconds. You need to do better. Woo! I thought, well, hey, I'm winning. I've never done a closing prayer of 12 minutes. Give me a hand. Come on, somebody. Worship is different than just singing. That's a part. Track with me. When you clear your calendar to pray for five minutes, you just worshipped. You ascribe value to God. When you turn the radio to the praise instead of that ghetto rap music you've been listening to. Okay, come on. That's another group of people say, she's not talking to you. When you speak about the Lord to someone and you say, Leanne, the Lord did that in my life. You don't turn it over to karma. You don't give credit to yourself, Pastor Ramon. But you say, God did this for me. He used people, but it's not a coincidence. Sometimes we are too easy to cause coincidence, call coincidence. What is the hand of a faithful God who does miraculous things for us? Can you say amen and give him praise? Go ahead. When you pick up that cell phone or on social media and you say, isn't the Lord good? Glory to the king. If you text with me, my phone is saved. Because I'm always going to respond, and you've seen it. Glory to the king. Honor to the lamb. Hallelujah. It's not because I'm some kind of religious freak. It's because I know he alone deserves the glory. Honor goes to others, but glory goes to the king. Give him one more praise in this house. And when you do that, Michael, this is so awesome. One of my favorite verses in Malachi 3 says, Then those who fear the Lord. Everyone say, fear the Lord. They spoke with each other. It's like I call Peggy, and I say, Peggy, you're not going to believe what the Lord did. Peggy, it's so awesome. Peggy, the Lord did this, and the Lord did that. And I begin to brag on the Lord. The Bible says that a scroll is unfolded. Go read it for yourself, my people. A scroll is unfolded in the presence of the Lord, and someone begins to write. Rhonda just told Peggy, this is so precious, that the Lord did this amazing thing. Christiane just told Debbie that God brought her through. You see, when you do that, it says that he writes a scroll in his presence. And then he says, and I remember those who put value upon me, and I will not forget them, and I will mark them for a future blessing. Somebody needs to tell somebody that God has done some great things. Come on, give him praise. You don't have to be theological Sound. You don't have to just say. You know, God did this. I know He did. I mean, when I'm in stores, somebody'll say, "You know," and I say, "You know, I just believe God did that." I'm, I'm careful what I say. I don't like prophesying tongues to them. You know, freak them out and get hauled out my backside out into the street by the popo. But I say, "You know, you know, I believe God did that." And you can tell a believer something. Yeah, I believe the Lord did that too. You know, it's just all of a sudden it's just like, ooh, I, I got this person's a believer. This is worship. It happens in homes, neighborhoods, cars, coffee meetings. Worship happens in churches like it does today when we make the goodness of God a priority. You being here today, when your car pulled out of the driveway, the angel said, Woo There they go. Maybe they don't woo hoo. I don't know. Maybe you go, Woo hoo. There they go making it a priority to go to the house of God. There they go to worship. Come on, somebody. When we say in a public venue, God is good, we worship. We don't just sing, but we give credit to him, and we give our life to him. But that's coming up. But what if I don't worship, Pastor Rhonda? Oh, the answer is you will. You will worship. The question is, what will you worship? The question is, what will you direct your worship toward, the right person? Who receives your worship? To whom are you turning? If someone were to ask you, what gets, um, what gets Melissa excited? Oh, she loves the Vols. Oh, she loves donuts. She loves confetti. She loves. Would they be able to say, Melissa loves God? Or put your name in there. Would they answer that question? Because we all worship something. Can you say, we all worship something when my sister and I were little talking about Christmas gifts we had these two cute little bikes that we rode together and when we outgrew those do we have that picture Austin sorry when we outgrew those here we are very little that's I'm the smaller one and uh, those had training wheels on them and we rode those and we rode those like the two yippee-ki-yay young girls that we were laughing aren't we cute and uh but when we outgrew those, Keith, there was one Christmas that my daddy said to us um, at the Christmas tree. My sweet, tender, gentle daddy, he said, "Girls, you have made a mess out in the front of the lawn. Front, front lawn." We're like, "No, daddy, no, we didn't do it, daddy. Brian did it. Our little brother did it. He's the one guilty one. Come on, somebody." We ran outside, and there, standing in the light, to our delight, was two beautiful banana bikes. Anyone ever have a banana seat bike? Oh, my word. Come on, give it up for the banana seat bike. And if you were cool, you hung tassels from the handlebars. And then your next goal was put a basket on the front. I don't know what you thought you were going to carry. (laughs) Maybe Toto, like a scene off of Wizard of Oz. Oh, we love those bikes. And, you know, we look for that. You know, you get that gift that I'm talking about what we worship. Say what we worship. That bike became everything to us. It would deliver us. It would entertain us. It would take us to the utter isles of the world in great glory and delight with our tassels blowing in the wind. What is your version of a bike? What do you worship? What do you worship? Because bikes have a tendency to break. Can I get an amen? You know, it's like this. We don't sing, I worship you, almighty bike, on Christmas morning there is none like you I worship you oh sweet cell phone you will take me everywhere and to my iPad I want to sing hallelujah and Netflix and Amazon Prime I'm making this up as I go there is none like you give me a hand We don't sing that. But let me tell you, do you know how you know what you worship? Follow the trail of your time. Follow the trail of your energy, your money, your allegiance. The end of that trail will say whatever's on the throne of what you worship. The trail never lies. Check your checking account. Check your phone. Check your iPad. Check all of these things. We may say that we value something. But the actions speak louder than our words. We become like what we worship. If you don't like this morning, and if I don't like, because we all could have some change here, what we're becoming, let's take a quick inventory of the things on our throne of our heart and ask the Lord, I need to remove this. I spent, Peggy and I both, well, anyway, spent a lot of time helping someone the last 48 hours who has looked to alcohol. No one lives here. Some of that, it broke our heart. And the degree of the, the text that we were receiving and the phone calls was off the chain. It broke my heart because it was so out of I used to tell pastor when we would be at a, out of somewhere that have a happy hour, he said, Rhonda, because he did all that, you know, he said, you're happy during that hour. But the next morning you wake up overwhelmed when you're looking to that thing. I'm talking about you worshiping it, not it's having its place if you choose to drink. I'm, I'm a teetotaler, but everyone has their own choice. Or a TV show. You're counting on that thing to deliver you, to sustain you, that job until that job no longer works for you. Worship might not be the word used to describe it. it fits any time we trust an object or person to give us life and it can't. We make good things the ultimate things. Look at your neighbor and say, "Take a breath." <laughs> we make good things the ultimate things. We set ourselves up for disappointment. We depend on a career, a relationship, a title, to give our life significance. But then what happens when the career ends? What happens when the relationship doesn't pan out? The single people are half, and they want to marry someone else that's half become whole. You can't do that. You'll marry that person. You better become whole and then marry someone that's whole. Can I get an amen from somebody? See, God knows that things end in our life, and who we worship is important. My daddy has written bestsellers. He's traveled all the nations of the world. He has stood on stages where so many thousands before him are one. He has litany of degrees. He has a doctorate. He has all these things. But I'm going to tell you, none of those things matter today. As he's at Garden Plaza and nurses are helping him remember what day it is. And we're helping him and manage his his life. But my daddy is still a worshiper. My daddy still gives credit to Jesus. In fact, his head nurse posted on social media under a post I did. He wakes up every morning singing. He wakes up every morning happy. You see, when you make the main thing the main thing, when everything else passes away and we come to see you, we're going to know you put your trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Give him a praise this morning. God knows there's a long line of imposter gods that want to zap you and take your strength. If I can only have that in 24-7 advertisements, it's just crazy these days how they're reading our mind, And but these things begin to break. But God wants to rescue us from imposters. God announces to us, I bought you with the blood of my son, the most precious commodity. Let worship be the way you treat anxiety let worship be the thing. When you feel overwhelmed with anxiety, Jesus, I turn my eyes to you. I praise you. You take all the oceans and you can put them in an eyedropper. And I know you can handle this problem. Can I get an amen? When you're overcome with sorrow, I turn my eyes to you, Jesus, my shepherd. This is just a shadow shadow of sorrow, a shadow of death, a shadow of heartbreak. But I turn my eyes to you, King Jesus. When you feel small and insignificant, you turn to him. Someone give Jesus a praise and let me take a break. So, three points. Number one, worship verbally. And they're faster. Worship verbally. Everyone say worship verbally. In the 80s, old little Willie Nelson with his cute little braids sang a song that became very powerful. You were always on my, you were always on my mind. I'm not going to sing the rest anyway. It said, maybe I didn't tell you. How much I loved you. I mean, I don't know what the lyricists knew about unrequired love. I'm going to tell for women, men, that's not going to get you far at all. Hey, I know I didn't tell you happy birthday or anniversary the last 40 years, but you was always on my mind. You was on my mind. You was on my mind. It doesn't get that very far with God. Can you imagine children around a Christmas tree? Children, we knew you had those lists, whether you were looking to Santa or us, however that goes. You know, but... Sorry we didn't get you anything, but you were always on our mind. You talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth? It's going to get horrific. Can I get an amen? I never told you I appreciate you, Chris Vernon, but heck, you are always on my mind, brother in the Lord. You see, we, we are speaking spirits. We should speak encouragement. Encouragement means to put courage in someone else. It doesn't go far with God, and it doesn't go far with us. We need to speak and say, because God knows what happens when you give your worship to something else or someone else. He knows how those imposter gods will seduce you. You should, if you believe in God, if you love him, you should say it. The Bible says the redeemed of the Lord. Someone say. Someone just say any word that drops into your mind right now. Roast. I want roast. Mashed potatoes. Okay. Okay. If you love God, speak his name. Tell him, worship. Satan wants your worship. When he can find no worshiping in this house this morning, he leaves. Because he wants worship. All we have to do is speak praise to God. And the enemy will flee. Psalms 34 in the message says, God met me more than halfway. He freed me from my anxious fears. When I was desperate, I called out, and God got me out of a tight spot. Can I get an amen? And then God's angel set up a circle of protection around me while I pray. Worship God. If you want the best, worship opens doors to all His goodness. Open your mouth and say so. Someone say, Hallelujah. I love that Paul and Silas were singing a robust song. I don't know about you. One of my favorite things about Sunday morning is Austin's Robust Songs. Can I get an amen? I mean, I just love people that are robust. I mean, I, I'm that way too. But I'm that way to ball game. I don't like, yeah, cheer, go, touchdown, block that kick, run with that ball. I mean, just take your melatonin and go to bed, my people. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, you ain't our age, so just... Step back. But I love it when robust singing happens. When I grew up in the church, we sang Linda Chapman, you remember, out of the hymnal. And this is what they would do. Watch This is worship. Now, everyone, turn to page 294. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. Can't go any higher. Got it do in a high key. Anyway, um, Anyway, I love to hear robust singing around me as a child. And then you'd break. Now turn to 342. Boy, well, they didn't know anything about transition, did they? Now we're going to sing the next song. And we would sing it, but it was worship. Someone say worship. I loved it. My Pepo gals. 250-pound Scott Irish was in Suspenders Church in Mississippi. And we'd go... He'd be flipping the suspenders with his bald head and his big old belly, and he'd be singing, Come and Dine, Domestic Cool, it's coming down. He was like a jailhouse singer. He was always behind a few bars and he had lost that key. <laughs> but here's the deal, I'd rather hear that than hear nothing. I luck robust. Hallelujah. I know I get loud. Christine's one of her besties, is going to say, I just love how your mom is so loud during worship. I don't know because I, when I lift my voice, it changes me. Someone say hallelujah. Someone say we praise you, Father. You see, it's in that time that we begin to express off key. Through the years at Harvest, people would come in, they say, you know, they kind of freak me out, but I think they're genuine. I'm I'm scared. But they got something I don't got. And that's what people sense when they sense that genuineness. John Wesley said, don't be afraid any more of your voice than you were when you sang the songs of Satan. When you was at the, now I'm not going to act all that out because I've got moves you've never seen. I don't want to display those today. Um, But when you're, you're coming out maybe drunk as a skunk, The skunks ever get drunk? I don't know. But anyway, you're coming out, but grandmother used to say it. You're coming out, and you're singing. You're bellowing with your friends. I'm going to tell you something about the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord moved upon King David, and he could not stop dancing. He went crazy in the streets because the Spirit of God moved on him. I'm going to tell you, there is a place where we can say, I'm not going to limit my loud, robust singing and come in here like, I will follow him. Follow him wherever he may go. If you miss the dinner theater, this means nothing. There isn't a mountain too deep, a forest too high for sweep. I don't know what the words are. I loved it when those nuns at the dinner theater, when it hit that boom, 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 and they just went wild. That's what it should look like. I'm not asking you to be me or be anybody else, but get robust, get excited. You be you. You worship like comes to you, but don't you limit it to when you were drunk and you were in the club and when you were doing all of that. Pastor David told me after he came to our first event, 2010, I've never seen a church that I can bring addicts into and say, these people. People have not toked a line. They haven't taken a snort. They haven't drank. They're just full of the joy of the Lord. Somebody give King Jesus praise. We get set free in worship. Come help me, Chris. We get set, I'm done, but give me time. This is going longer than I thought, as usual, as usual. We get set free in worship. One day when we get to heaven, we'll understand everything that happened when we worshiped here together. Number two, worship in community. Everyone say community. Those angels filled the sky. There is something spiritual that happens in this living room of faith. I love private worship, but there's something that happens when we get together. We don't even always know what it is. Hebrews 10 and 22 says, Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging and helping and not avoiding worship together. Every generation has a yes to Jesus and a no to church, but they do so at their own loss. And their own peril because when voices come in unity and voices begin to praise God something happens you leave knowing I'm not alone you leave knowing I have other people in God's family if you believe that give him a shout of praise and we'll go to number three come on give him a hallelujah and finally worship with your life look at your neighbor and say worship with your life let him be the Lord of your life let him have the talents hang with me because I got a couple cool stories let him use what you have let him use you to bring christ to this earth not always just in the way you imagine but the way that he sees fit romans 12 and the message says so here's what i want you to do as the apostle paul take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping you're eating you're going to work and you're walking around life and place it before god as an offering embracing what god does for you is the best thing you can do for him second corinthians 8 and 5 says that the disciples gave themselves first everyone say first to the lord first to the lord secondly to us we give ourselves to god first our life our breath our health every moment we give is a gift from god and we give it back to god and then we give our time everyone say our time to others remember the good samaritan The person you might think is a bore and you always avoid, why not just listen to them? The person that needs your attention, needs your curiosity, be them. Jesus lived the highest and most awesome purpose. But he went from one interruption to another, off the cuff places, spur of the moment. Who touched me? He was going to heal someone, then someone else stepped in, and he just kept doing the works of Jesus. Acts 10 and 36 says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, and he went around and did good. Someone say good. He did good. If you want to give something to the king, wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, give your worship, give your words of praise, and then give your life and do good for other people. You see, he noticed the sound of the widow's mite hitting the offering bucket. He paid attention to the blind man. He went to see the woman at the well. Most of us live afraid of time, like we're running out of time. But I want to tell you something. You are an eternal being. Someone say eternal. We're not short of days. We've just got to learn to number them aright. Psalms 90, 12. Teach us, Lord, to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Someone say a heart of wisdom. Now take a deep breath. Let it out. Okay. We're preparing for communion, but I've got a couple of stories then an ending. I just want it to stay right here. Right here. It's a wonderful movie Pastor Hank and I loved called Mr. Holland's Opus. Have you ever seen it? Richard It's a great movie. He wants to be a great composer, but he has to pay the bills. His son is born with a handicap. He and his wife have to move to a small town, so he goes to teach in high school for the money. All the while, he's working on this opus. An opus is an artistic work or a masterpiece, and that was what he thought he was called to do. So, But, he, but one year went into two, two went into five, five went into 15. As time does, time shuffles on. He becomes old and the opus is never written and the school board puts him out for early retirement. Walking down the hallway the last time with his wife and his adult son now, who's grown up with an incredible handicap. He hears noise in the auditorium. It's a surprise and hundreds of students from his years of teaching are now gathered. Colleagues both current and past. People he's taught all through the years and they're just cheering so loud For Mr. Holland. They're just cheering all these people. He's taught through his days. And there they are. The orchestra is filled with students he taught. They're now older. And they're warming up and they're all smiling. they had gone into his office before he removed his things. And they pulled out his opus. His piece of masterpiece of orchestration. And they begin to play it skillfully. But of course everyone in the room. And when you watch the movie. You know that his opus isn't the composition. His opus is the lives before him. That's the masterpiece. All those he taught while he was being interrupted. I'm going to tell you sometimes, Henry Newman said, My whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discerned the interruptions were my work. Sometimes Jesus comes disguised as interruptions in our life. People who need our time, but we want to get this done. People who need this. And Jesus saying, "I'm disguised. I'm disguised as someone who needs what Christ has given you." Can you say Amen? The other story I want to tell is a movie, Passion, I love from the 80s. I wouldn't recommend you look at it because I've rewatched it twice. I'm like, whoa. Um, it might have been like a B film, but the message was powerful. It's Charlie Sheen called the Fourth Wise Man, and it's a story about this wise man that didn't make it to the other three as they were trying to go see Jesus and his whole life, he has these jewels, and he keeps trying to catch up with them. There's the image of the movie and his servant. He keeps trying to catch up with them, but he misses them. You know why he misses them? Because he gets interrupted by people in trouble, hurting people. He gives away, he had jewels he was going to give to the baby. So he gives a jewel to someone to save their life. He gives another jewel to save another life. He ends up living in a leper colony, and he teaches these people how to grow and He's coming to the end of his days. His heart is giving out. And he hears that there's a man who's healing people in Jerusalem. He hears and he sees someone from the leprechaun that got their sight back. And he's thinking it's in his servant who has served him. We make it into Jerusalem just at the time they hear that this king has been crucified. And he just weeps. My life has been a failure. My life has been a failure. He hears that this king has died. Then all of a sudden in the movie, you can't see him, but Jesus appears to him and says, Artaban calls him by name. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was prison. And then Artaban says back, my king, when did I see you? I didn't bring you what I had. When did I see you hungry or naked? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it on." Un- to me, I'm going to tell you something, King Jesus wants our life. The truth is, a servant never has to worry about a title. A servant never has to worry about where they fit in. A servant just knows, I'm going to give my life for King Jesus and for his glory. Can you give him praise this morning? Can you give him praise this morning? In closing, Emmanuel, God is with you. Monica and Jennifer, when you teach on Wednesday night, God is with you. Keith, when you minister in the sound booth, God is with you. Leanne in the shop, God is with you. God is with you, Christiane, oh, great servant of the Lord. God is with you, Linda. So today we say, what can I give him as we prepare for communion? In just a moment, we'll have the other singers come up. What can I give someone, Joel, who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, and the prince of peace? What do I give an everlasting father? These gifts look like nothing. He wants you. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your worship. He wants your voice telling others about him. He wants your talent, those gifts that you have, that you give at work. He wants them in the kingdom too. Your testimony. He wants your time. He wants your heart. He wants you to make room for him. You see, we live in a celebrity world. They're all around us. We hold people in high regard because of their ability to act or athletic ability. Perhaps they're wealthy or they're philanthropists. Whatever the case, we esteem these individuals for their status and significance. But over time, we lose our interest. We lose our interest in them. Their skill or their talent or their notoriety declines, and they're soon forgotten. I want to say this to you in closing. Jesus Christ will never lose his status. Can I get an amen? Listen to me as your heart is prepared. He never wrote a song, and yet there are more songs written about him than any other person who ever lived. He never wrote a book, and yet the book written about him, the Bible, has outsold every other book. He never traveled more than 300 miles from the place of his birth, yet people on every corner of this planet recognize the name of Jesus in every language. Your calendar is set by human history, A.D. In fact, his renown only increases with time, even though he has not physically walked this earth in more than 2,000 years. Although Jesus is the greatest celebrity ever to live, he took the lowest form of humanity and became man and was born in a manger. He could have been born in a castle and portrayed himself as a king, but then many of us would not have been able to relate to one like that. So he became a babe born in a barn in a dusty manger among animals on the backside of nowhere things were not so good for